On the show today, a hacking group claims it is selling access to over 50,000 home security cameras. British Airways receives a 20 million pound fine for storing credit card details in plain text. A survey by ExpressVPN reveals that Americans regularly share passwords with their significant others. The scam of the day involves a post-visit survey for a place I haven't visited. And today's tip gives you 10 steps to set up a phone or tablet for your kids. All of that and more is coming up on the October 19th, 2020 edition of Cybersecurity Made Personal. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity Made Personal. Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Jim Herman. We begin the news beat on the dark web, where a hacking group is selling access to what it claims are over 50,000 home security camera feeds. The group is offering access to live feeds and pre-recorded videos from these cameras for a one-time fee of $150. Additionally, the group has made a sample of around 4,000 videos and images available for free. Many of the cameras record individuals in compromising positions, and some of the recordings do include children. Researchers say that while it's possible vulnerabilities in some cameras led to the compromise, it is much more likely that poor security practices such as using weak or default passwords, is likely what resulted in most of these cameras becoming vulnerable. The tip in episode 29 of this show covered how you can set up these smart devices securely. If you have smart home devices and want to listen, you can visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash episode 29. Moving across the pond, British Airways has been fined 20 million pounds or approximately $26 million, following a 2018 data breach that exposed sensitive data, including credit card numbers. While it's still the biggest fine ever handed out by the UK's Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO had originally proposed a fine of £183 million, or $236 million. The ICO explained its final determination included a variety of factors presented by British Airways, including the impact that COVID-19 has had on the travel industry. The Commission reported numerous errors in data handling, including storing administrator account credentials in a server file, failing to implement multi-factor authentication, and storing credit card details, including expiration dates and the CVV codes, without encrypting them. Back home in the United States, a survey by VPN provider ExpressVPN has revealed some information as it relates to our passwords and our significant others. The study showed that Americans are more likely to share account login details with their relationship partners than with other family members. Account details for video streaming services were the most likely to be shared, 
followed by mobile phone passwords and music streaming services, with all three coming in over 50%. Just under half of those surveyed had shared a social media login, and 38% reported sharing their personal email password. However, in some disturbing news, around one-fourth of the respondents admitted that they had used someone's shared information to track their ex following a breakup. That could explain why over one-third of people admit that they regret sharing passwords with their former lovers. So if you're someone who has shared your password with others in the past, now is probably a good time to go change them. And now we move on to our scam of the day. For today's scam, I didn't even have to go to my spam folder. Somehow this one actually made its way into my inbox, which is surprising considering how good the spam filter normally is. The sender's name is listed as gift card, all one word, and it came from a very unique email address once again. ZDGLOPI-3S11BQ2N43W-NoReply at shcbqrilkao.org. The subject line just says verification. And the email reads, Attention, feedback for shipment number 5071-8564. Over 4 million in offers given out so far. The Home Depot Shopper Survey Dear The Home Depot User, You have been selected to get an exclusive reward. To qualify for this special offer, simply complete our 30-second marketing survey about your experiences with The Home Depot. Click OK to start. OK. Unsubscribe. Powered by... Digitech Web Resources LLC, 1100 NASA Parkway, Suite 420F, Houston, Texas, 77058. To unsubscribe, please go here or send mail to Toys and Storybooks LLC, P.O. Box 4668, number 91384, Richmond, Virginia, 23285-5073, United States. There's so many strange things about this email. As I've mentioned before, this email uses the trick of using an image to keep spam filters from reading the text. While that's often a flag now for spam filters, for some reason, this one managed to make it through and get to my inbox. However, you can only have one link for an entire image, so that means that the OK button and both of the unsubscribe buttons and every other part of the image will all take you to the same place. Now, I don't recommend that you ever click on links in scam emails, but I used a special environment set up to protect my computer and open the link there. In this case, the link does lead to a survey about Home Depot. One interesting fact, I can't tell you the last time I was even in a Home Depot. So even if I was likely to be fooled by this type of email, this particular one probably wouldn't have tricked me. I didn't actually take the survey, but I assume that it will probably announce that I'm a winner, but just need to pay for some shipping costs. Or it might try to steal my login credentials for the Home Depot or a different site. I'm not exactly sure what they were trying to get here, but those are two common methods. 
One other thing I found interesting was the attempt to comply with the U.S.'s Can Spam Act. This has an unsubscribe link and also a mailing address where you can send mail. But if you didn't notice, the mailing address had nothing to do with the Home Depot. The mailing address was for Toys and Storybooks, LLC, in Richmond, Virginia. Now, I looked up that address, but I couldn't find anything for that address or for the company itself. So I don't think the company exists. I assume it was part of a previous scam. There was one other company mentioned, Digitech Web Resources. I looked them up and determined they are a legitimate company. But I assume they probably didn't have anything to do with this particular scam. If you encounter a scam you think we'd like to talk about on the show, feel free to send it to scam at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com. And now it's time for the Cybersecurity Pop Quiz. Each episode, I'll ask you a different question in the field of online security or privacy, and it's your job to figure out the right answer. Today's question is a multiple choice question. The question is, which of these is the most secure form of two-factor authentication? A, receiving a code sent to your email inbox, B. Receiving a code sent to your mobile phone. C. Using Google Authenticator to generate a code. Or D. Using a USB or Bluetooth device that authorizes your login. The answer to this question will be revealed in next week's episode. But if you want to know the answer right away, you can visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash popquiz to find out if you're right. Plus, if you submit the guest on the website, regardless of whether you're right or wrong, you can be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card when we conclude Season 2 in February. But your guess to this question must be submitted before the next episode is released at 8 a.m. on Thursday, October 22nd. For official rules, visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash quizrules. Last week's question was, which of these is not generally a sign that an email might be fake? A. A claim that you are about to be locked out of your account. B. Poor English or grammatical errors. C. Shipping information about a recent order you placed. Or D. An announcement that you are the winner of a $10,000 prize. Hopefully, that was a fairly easy one. While it's possible someone could craft a fake email involving an order you placed, it's much less likely than any of the other options. If someone were to do that, it would probably be part of an attack that specifically targets you for your data, instead of a general attack that's sent to thousands or millions of people. Those types of attacks do exist, but they're usually targeted at work accounts, especially executives and those who have significant amounts of access to data and systems. If you're a parent, you're responsible not only for your own online safety, but also for keeping your kids safe as well. Whether or not you choose to give your kids their own phone or tablet is up to you, but if you do choose to give them their own device, you need to take steps to keep that device safe. 
We'll have 10 steps for protecting your child's devices when we come back from this short break. Hey, it's Jim. I just wanted to take a few seconds to tell you about a brand new class I'll be teaching. It's called the Five Day Security Boost. For five days from November 9th through November 13th, I'll be live on Facebook at 9 p.m. each night, teaching you about five quick changes that will make a huge difference in your online safety. It's a great opportunity to not just learn about online security, but also to ask me any questions that you might have. And if you can't make it live, you can still sign up because replays will be available through November 20th. For more information or to sign up, visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash securityboost. I remember the first time that I got a cell phone. Cell phones were just starting to become popular while I was in high school, and my parents decided to get me one so we could keep in touch despite our busy lives. Out of all my friends, I am the only person I remember having a cell phone in high school. However, while I was working my way through college, I took a job driving a school bus. One of the things that surprised me the most was how quickly phones and tablets had made their way to the younger age groups. It took just five or six years to go from practically no phones in high school to practically no one without a phone. And it wasn't just limited to high school either. While the percentage dropped for elementary and middle school kids, it still was not uncommon to see kids in these younger grades carrying their phone or tablet to school. The truth is that at some point, you probably will want to get a phone or tablet for your child, even if it's just giving them your old one. When you choose to do that is up to you. But when you do decide the time is right, there are plenty of features that you can use to help keep your child safe. With that in mind, here are 10 ways you can configure your child's device for safety. First. Get a kid-friendly case. The smaller your kid, the more durable case you'll need. No matter how responsible your child is, there's still a possibility for accidents. Look for a durable case that comes with a screen protector. You may also want to consider a waterproof case, especially for a younger child. If you give a tablet to a toddler, you never know where it might end up either accidentally or on purpose. Whether it gets accidentally dropped in the toilet or it's intentionally dropped in the sink to clean it off, a waterproof case will provide peace of mind for you. Second, if you're giving your child a used device, wipe all of the data off of it before you start. This will help make sure that there's not any data on it from the previous owner. And it will also make sure that your child's information remains separate. You don't want to later find out that there's an app from the previous owner that was still left on the device. Third, set up location tracking for the device. Both Android and iOS offer a built-in location tracking service. 
On iOS, it's called Find My iPhone or Find My iPad, and on Android, it's just called Find My Device. You never know where your child might accidentally leave the device, so having this location tracking enabled will give you an idea of its current whereabouts. It's certainly not a guarantee that you'll get the device back, but it will help. Fourth, set up Find My Friends on iOS or enable location sharing in Google Maps on Android. As your child gets older and is given more freedom, this will help you track your child's location. Obviously, this only works if your child still has their phone on them, but let's be honest, what kid isn't attached to their phone anymore? Fifth, set up a family group on your device. Both Android and iOS have the ability to set up a family group for all of your devices. This can allow you to monitor your child's device and control its settings from your own phone or tablet. Sixth, whenever possible, set up the device to unlock with a fingerprint. If your child uses a PIN or a password to unlock the device, they could inadvertently provide that to someone else or they might intentionally tell it to their friend. However, you can't tell your fingerprint to anyone. Enabling fingerprint authentication makes sure that only your child can unlock that device. And yes, I know you can't set up fingerprint authentication without a PIN as a backup, but that doesn't mean you have to give that PIN to your child. Keep the PIN to yourself and set up your child with fingerprint authentication only. Also, while you're doing this, set up your own fingerprint on the device. Almost every device I know of allows you to use different fingers for authentication. So set up one or two of your own fingers along with one or two of your child's. Seventh, set up restrictions on what your child can do on the device. There are several things that you'll want to restrict. First, restrict app installations. Make sure that your child can only install a new app if you review it and permit it. Along the same lines, the second restriction is a restriction on in-app purchases. You definitely don't want your child running up charges on your credit card while trying to beat a level on his favorite game. In-app purchases are intended to be easy, but when it comes to children, they might be a little too easy. Third, restrict web content. Both Android and iOS permit you to restrict websites, either through a content rating system, such as blocking sexually explicit websites, or through a list of blocked or approved sites. Now, I definitely don't recommend using a block list. There's no way you can possibly list every bad website to block. However, whether you choose to use the default rating system or just create your own list of allowed websites is up to you. Fourth, set up media restrictions. This will allow you to block explicit music, video, podcasts, and more. At the same time, you may also want to install an app like YouTube Kids, which limits video watching to only kid-friendly videos. Granted, none of these things are going to be perfect, but they will block the majority of obscene content. And finally, restrict your child's use of the device. Limit when your kid is able to use the device 
and how much time your child can spend on it. And don't be afraid to be tracking how much time your child is spending. There's nothing wrong with some screen time, but everyone needs time away from screens as well. Eighth, remove or hide apps that are irrelevant to your child. Some of the default apps, such as the Apple Wallet app on an iPhone, are going to be completely irrelevant for your child. If the app can be removed, remove it. On Apple devices, many of Apple's default apps can't be uninstalled, but they can be hidden using the settings. Ninth, if your child wants to install a new app, look for a parental guide. Many games are now producing guides for parents, so you can stay aware of what the app actually is, what information may be collected, and what options you have available to you. You may be able to limit certain features of the game, like purchases or chats, and you might also be able to receive an alert if your child logs in from a different device. And finally, number 10 is to talk to your children about how they're using the device. All of the controls in the world will do you no good if you don't remain involved in what your child's doing online. This doesn't mean you need to require them to log how they spend every minute on the device, but definitely take the time to find out what they're spending the majority of their time doing. It can also be a learning experience for you, as they'll probably do plenty of things that you might not have had an interest in. But don't be afraid to ask your child questions about how they're using these devices. As I mentioned in the final point, there is no magic pill that's always going to keep your kids safe online. However, both iOS and Android offer plenty of settings that you can use to set boundaries so that with good communication and a little monitoring, you'll be able to help make sure that your kid stays safe. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening, and come back again on Thursday, where our tip will discuss how to protect the data that's stored on your car. Until next time, stay safe. Thanks again for joining us for the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. Check out the show notes page linked in the description for links to the articles mentioned, more information about today's tip, and a transcription of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would consider visiting our welcome page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com welcome. There, you can find more information about the show and links to some of our most popular episodes. Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Don't take any action on your computer unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening and stay safe.